Hi, welcome to the NeuroSec podcast where we unite people and organizations to support and advance neurodiverse people in cybersecurity. My name is Nathan Chung, and today my special guest is Lisa Ventura. She is founder and CEO of the UK Cybersecurity Association. She's also a strong advocate of all things related to neurodiversity and winner of countless awards for her tireless devotion to cybersecurity, women, and, and the industry. Welcome, Lisa. Pleasure to be here, Nathan. Thank you. Okay. Uh, to, to, start, start to kick things off, Benedict Cumberbatch recently portrayed two characters who were often described as being autistic. The first being Alan Turing in the, in the movie Imitation Game and the BBC series uh, Sherlock. For me, his portrayal of Sherlock Holmes is very relatable and the show is r- incredible. Articles and research studies have diagnosed the fictional character of Sherlock Holmes as being on the autism spectrum due to his brilliant mind, by, due to his brilliant mind solving crimes, his antisocial personality, and his nervousness. Some people use the character as an example of what being on the autism spectrum looks like. Uh, what are your thoughts and how do you feel? Um, on that, Nathan, I, it, I think it's just there's so much with it being a spectrum and so much that, you know, it varies so much that it's, it's kind of difficult for me to say, is this a true representation? Is it not? I kind of steer clear of, of, of that because... Whenever I say to people I'm autistic, people automatically think, oh, you're like Rain Man. And it's like, no, no, I'm not. Ah, yes. I've heard. <laughs> um, so there's yeah, there's those connotations as, as, as well. And I, th- I think it's very individual. Um, so for myself, rather than sort of say, I'm like this person, or I'm like that person, I'm very individual. And everybody that is neurodiverse autistic is also very individual um, with the traits that they have and the, 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 the things that, that they exhibit. Great. So next, and I I've heard the Rain, Rain Man reference a lot. I I do believe it. It is similar to how you how you described where it is inaccurate to think like when you see Rain Man, that's autism. Like that's wrong because autism is a spectrum. So there are many 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 uh, people who are they're they're all going to be different. Not no two people will be the same. Absolutely, very true. <laughs> Yep. And next, transitioning to cyber job. No, being nor people who are neurodiverse are often cited as being a great fit for cyber jobs, just like pen testing. Pen testing and hacking are like come to mind right away when you when people Google it. Like, how do you feel? I think that's that's um, generally true, and that comes from the analytical um, mindset and the um, the precision that can come with 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 coding and pen testing and and so on. Um, so I think that's that that's fair to say. It's been shown that a lot of um, people that are neurodiverse are very well suited to careers within the cybersecurity um, industry. Um, and I, and I, I do a lot of work in terms of nurturing um, people that are neurodiverse to consider careers in the industry. Yep. I agree there too. I, I'm 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 neurodiverse as well. Disclaimer, and yeah, I've done many cyber jobs. But I find it it does fit 
much better than regular IT jobs. <laughs> okay, so next up, among all those cyber jobs, from your experience, which cyber jobs are best suited for for a person like who's on like ADHD, who have ADHD or autism? Um, it's it, it, again a kind of a tricky one for me to answer in that um, I'm autistic, but I'm all about the people side of cybersecurity. So I do a lot in terms of cyber awareness and cyber awareness training and teaching people to be a lot uh, more alert to all the growing threats and phishing and ransomware and all that, that stuff that, that, that goes on. Um, so I, I, I think my advice would be to find the niche that you're comfortable with. Um, there's lots and lots of different ways um, into the industry and lots of um, different facets um, to it. And so what might not be you know, good for one person might not be suitable for, for, for another. Um, but certainly along the, um, you know, the, the, the coding side, um, certainly very good for people that are neurodiverse. And what I'm seeing nowadays, like especially in schools now, they are teaching a lot of technical skills at an early age. I actually feel comfort in that because like when I was going to school, they didn't even teach coding. Mm. It's a huge difference now. That's yeah. that's true. And that was the same when when I was at school. And um, what got me into computers was that I had a, uh, a BBC Micro, which was my first computer. And then ah. I moved on to Spectrum and then Amigas. And I had the 500, oh, 600. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know if you've seen the, the photos that I posted online, but my husband and I have actually developed a retro room at the moment. And we have models of all these old computers from our, our, our I childhood. Love it. <laughs> so. I love it. It's, a, it's fun. Okay, uh, by the way, I, I had a question. I received a question a few days, a uh, few weeks ago from a friend in Canada. She has a family member who is a 16-year-old female who is autistic and really good with computers. Mm-hmm. She's asking how that person can transition into cybersecurity. Um. I think if she's got a, a, an interest in the areas, obviously, you know, read up as much about it, do as much research as, as, as possible um, and make those introductions, get those, um, you know, the, any kind of work experience or any um, facets into the industry, um, networkers as much as possible. Um, and I think networking for me has been a key in a lot of what I do. So having that extensive um, you know, pool of, of, of people within the industry to, to draw on. And another thing I would say is, is get a mentor as well. I have a, a couple of amazing mentors and I also work with a coach in cybersecurity um, to help keep me on track and make sure that I am accountable for you know, all my goals and that I'm on track to achieving everything that I want to achieve. And, and that's been so helpful to me. Yep, I totally agree. And one thing I would add to that is essentially try everything. What, yeah. what, I think one difficulty of cybersecurity is when people think of cybersecurity, they just automatically assume hacker or a defender, which is not true because similar to the autism spectrum, there's just so many, 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 many cyber jobs out there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that in the industry overall it has to do a better job of yeah. showing all those various job skills because as is it, it seems like the industry oftentimes pigeonholes people into those two main roles, attacker or defender. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, shifting um, gears, uh, can, can you share any personal stories about 
your your yourself being neurodiverse and how how that affected your life and how how do you cope day to day? Um, well, I growing up, I always knew that I was different. I always knew that I didn't fit in. I had interests that just were not shared by any of my peers whatsoever, hmm. um, and I really struggled to relate to people. I really struggled to make friends growing up. Um, and I was always sort of far better being, I suppose, on on my own and, and having interests and activities that were you know, very much sort of solo ones as opposed to team or, or group ones. Um, and I would get super stressed about any you know team games or anything that involved having to um, you know do things with other people because I, I, I just couldn't cope with it. But I did what a lot of um, women and girls have found to, to tend to do if they're autistic, which is I masked it. So I pretended that I was super confident and could fit in. and But inside, it just wasn't a natural thing for me at all. And it actually brought me a lot of angst and, and stress. And I, I just absolutely hated it. Um, and I actually went through a lot of my life like that. So when I even went out to work, I found that working in an office with a team of people was super, super hard and difficult for me. But I masked it and I did it because that's what you had to do. You had to go out, you had to get a job, make money um, and do that, that things to Monday to Friday. Um, and it would literally take me the entire weekend to get out. By the time I started feeling semi okay, it was Sunday night and I'd have to start all over again on a Monday. Oh, so that's... it's really impacted you know, me throughout my, my life. And then um, the the actual diagnosis, it, it's kind of funny because I wasn't seeking it at the time I, I got it as, as such. Um, I'd attended my doctor's office for something completely unrelated. And then I'd apparently flagged up on their system because uh, Worcestershire Healthy Minds in my area was doing a study looking for undiagnosed autism in women between the ages of 40 and 45. Um, and I'd flagged up on the system as being in that age group. So my doctor asked me if I'd fill out a questionnaire. Thinking no more of it, I did it. I handed it into reception, had a phone call later in the evening to say I'd scored really highly on it and would I be willing to come in and spend a few hours um, with the lady that was doing the research and um, more questions and so on. So the following week I did that, I asked a lot more questions, a lot more sort of um, exercises and, and, and tests and things and at the end she concluded I was definitely on the autistic spectrum and Nathan it was like a light bulb went off in my head because it was like at last now I know why I feel so different. Now I know why my interests are so singular. Now I know why I'm so feel so different to, to everybody else. And armed with that knowledge, I was then able to fully really be myself and make changes you know, a, a, a accordingly. So for example, I now work solely from home. I don't work in an office and I've done that even before the pandemic um, hit um, for myself as opposed to working for somebody else, you know, things, things like that. Um, all stuff that allows me to be the best I can be um, within the confines of you know, what I have. And I, and I don't see it as a, a, a disability or something that holds me back. If anything, now I know and now I'm armed with that knowledge. It's actually empowered me. And I think it's not um, the, the parallel between my achievements in cyber and the awards and so on I've won have been in line with getting my diagnosis over the last couple of years. And I don't think that's... Um, that, that that's that's something that's that's kind of gone hand in hand so on with the diagnosis it's allowed me to be the best that i can be 
I love it. It's, <laughs> I think it overall, in summary, sounds like once you got diagnosed, you're free to be yourself, and yeah. that is yeah. beautiful. Unfortunately, we live in a society where it's there's still stigma around it. It's like yeah. the workplaces are kind of like a are still kind of like a factory, and as soon as a person says they have autism or or neurodiverse, it's like no, you're not a team player. You can't yeah. function. Mm. So there's that negative stigma, and based on your experience experiences uh, in the in in the United Kingdom, do you feel that that stigma is changing in society? I think it is, and I've I've seen some organisations do some amazing work um, within you know, diversity and inclusion in all aspects. Um, Wise campaign that I was involved with recently certainly do a lot of work um, in that area, um, and I think. We're just starting, though. I still think there's a lot more that can be done, um, particularly, as, as you say, to educate um, businesses and companies to the benefits of having people in their workforce that are neurodiverse. And it is very much now on the uh, agenda of the C-suite. And I'm certainly seeing and hearing a lot more conversations um, about it here in the UK. So I hope that just continues to you know, to, to grow and grow. Brilliant. Yeah. And and the other thing you, you brought up is, when I read stories on the internet, it is very common for people, to, especially uh, girls and young women, to have be to be autistic and neurodiverse and to go years and years without knowing and suffer through their lives. And I, amazing stories such as yourself, where you get diagnosed even at even at the late stage. I think that's amazing, and I think pe- a lot of people should do the same because I believe that. A lot of people are going to be similar, especially girls and young women who are suffering. Like, yeah. they shouldn't. They should not have to suffer. They should be free and open to be themselves. Now, one thing I am noticing, especially here in the U.S., is one big blocker is the diagnosis and testing for autism is not covered by insurance. Is is it that way in the U.K. as well? Um, it's more that there's a very long waiting list. Um, for, oh my! Yeah. So we we have the. Um, we, we have the National Health Service and it is absolutely wonderful and I'm so grateful for it in so many ways. But when it comes to um, getting a diagnosis um, for something like autism or anything that involves mental health, it's very limited and there are very, very long waiting lists. Oh um, you can go private and pay for a private diagnosis um, yourself, but that's um, very costly to do. And obviously not a lot of people have the resources um, to be able to do that. So... I feel very fortunate and very lucky that my diagnosis came about because I flagged up um, to take part in that study. Um, had I not flagged up, I, I would be—I would never known to this day. Um, yeah, quite quite possibly because it's, it wasn't something that was on my radar or that I was thinking about. Um, so, yeah, I I I just I, I can imagine that in the states with the insurance and so on, it'd be very very difficult. Um, and I've got a friend at the moment who's um, seeking a, a diagnosis. She's roughly my age. And the waiting list is around about two years. Oh, uh, my God. Two uh, yeah. years. Yeah. And that's that's the way it is over here. And that's not because of the pandemic. That was before the pandemic. It could well be even longer now for all I know. Oh, my God. That's, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. Because for myself, I also believe that even without formal diagnosis, people can still research and self-diagnose because like, like like more terms like kind of like Cinderella if the shoe fits yeah, absolutely and uh shifting gears 
since you're openly autistic, mm. how, how has it affected your married life? How do you, because I can, traditionally people with autism struggle in social relationships. So how do you make it work with your husband? Um, I'll be completely honest. Sometimes it's with quite great difficulty. Um, I feel that sometimes my husband doesn't understand the way I do things or the fact that I have you know, a very specific routine and things like that. But it's getting better. And I think for us, because we've been through a lot as a couple, a lot of stuff that would have probably broken a lot of other couples. Um, for example, we had a son in 2013 that was stillborn and that was really difficult. And then we had a lot of close family bereavements after that, that time. So within six months, my husband had lost his son and his dad. Um, for example, oh but then there were, yeah, and then there were other bereavements that that, my, that my followed. <laughs> so it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was a really tough time, and we felt like we were always in funerals for a, a good couple of years or so. Um, so, having been through all of that, I think we've had to work really, really hard. And I, you know, I, I'm not the easiest person to live with being autistic. I know that, and I know that there are ways I do things that drive him absolutely insane. Um, but I try my best to sort of you know understand that and you know work with him and you know as a team and, and I think that 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 helps us as, as well um but equally he's also very understanding of it and did his own research when I was diagnosed so I think that's that's helped a lot as well yeah I think that's I think that's a key just yeah. understand and understanding the the condition and mm. accepting yeah. each other quirks quirks and all absolutely and believe me i have plenty of them <laughs> so yep, it's, uh, I, I do it as well <laughs> not easy for him <laughs> yep so on a more positive note mm -hmm. congratulations on your new books the mm -hmm. the rise of the cyber woman volume one Inspir inspirational accounts from women who are taking the cybersecurity industry by storm and the and the in and your latest book the varied origins of the cyber men so what inspired you to write these amazing books and how did, how, how did it all come together? Um, look, the idea that I had for the, um, for the Women in Cyber book was around the fact that I had a very non-linear journey into the cybersecurity industry. And I, I was in a very different industry before that. So I'd spent um, quite a few years working with Chris Tarrant, who was the host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire here in the UK. So I was in the entertainment industry for quite some time. Um, and then I transitioned into cybersecurity because I joined my ex-husband's cybersecurity software development company. And when we uh, separated and divorced in 2012, I knew I wanted to stay in the industry. So I, I did and worked at BT and so on. And I, I thought last year, there must be a lot more women out there that are in an entirely different industry, might be tentatively thinking about making those first steps into cyber, but don't know how to go about it or they or, or there are women out there that have made that transition and I, and that's where the idea for the book came about so they may not have had a traditional path um into the industry but the idea for the book was to feature those women and the journeys that they'd been on um and transitioning from something completely different as i had into that career in in cyber um and the book was really really well received and i was really pleased with it and then my mentor and friend, Chris Windley, who I work on uh, with on a couple of cyber projects um, here in the UK, 
um, thought it would be a really good idea to do something similar for men because although cyber is a very male-dominated industry, his thoughts were it must be similar. There must be some men out there that are very different and, and been in different industries and then uh, made the transition to cyber. Um, so that's where the idea for that book um, came about. And each volume will come out every year now on International Women's Day and International Men's Day. So brilliant like yeah. thank you for doing that like that is amazing and i think you're right like when girls are in school it is so hard for them to imagine themselves being in a technical world much less cybersecurity because yeah. in the industry there's just this perception that majority of the people in cyber are tend to be white male which is not true there's yeah. just so many incredible women such as yourself who are just changing the world and rocking the world yeah, like definitely. That, like, that, like that has to be shot from the rooftops. Like, yes, women can be in cyber and they can succeed. <laughs> Absolutely. So now, now that the, those two books are published, wh- what is your next project? Um, aside from my, uh, what I call my day job work with the UK Cybersecurity Association and um, working with a lot of clients with their cybersecurity awareness programs, um, I'm actually working on a, a couple of other books at the moment that are non-cyber related and one is um, about my dad's uh, diagnosis and journey because he has a very rare form of encephalitis so um, I'm working on a a, a book about that and how it's affected the family from a caring perspective um, in the hope that it helps other families um, should they get a diagnosis similar to what he had Um, and I'm also looking at working on a, a, a book Um, This is a bit of a weird one, and it goes back to one of my um, strange interests, which I never told anybody about. I kept it completely to myself until it was diagnosed. But I'm weirdly fascinated with everything to do with nuclear war and specifically the the time in the 70s and 80s when the Cold War was was at bay and it was kind of everywhere and we all thought that the bomb was going to drop at any second and need to get a nuclear fallout shelter sorted and and so on. Um, And that interest was sparked off by a film made by the BBC in the UK called Threads, which came out in 1984, which depicted a nuclear attack in the UK and what would happen and life after the um, the attack and so on. So I'm actually compiling a book at the moment about... um, about that that interest and about that whole Cold War thing and how we all thought you know the end was was nigh and and so on and I'm actually connected to one of the actors um, from the film Threads, a chap wow. called Reese Dinsdale, who's going to write a, a, a foreword and, and be part of the book as as, as well. So incredible, yeah. <laughs> strange interest, <Yeah>. I know. <laughs> Not really, because I remember back in when I was when I was going through school, I I had a similar interest. <laughs> Like, I don't know why, but, <laughs> but, uh, fortunately the Cold War is over, but yes. as, as, as the saying goes, as more things change, more things stay the same, like, yeah. still have nuclear warheads and everything, like, this, and, uh, so, yeah, we talked about your passion, but, uh, besides cybersecurity and neurodiversity, what drives your passion for all these, for all the work you do, like, what? gives you all that energy um going back to what i mentioned a little while ago nathan when my son was was stillborn because i thought i was going to be on a particular life path of being the mother to a son that had he, I, I knew before birth that he had some disabilities that he would need 24 hour round the clock care so 
I prepared for that life of being a full-time mother to a, a son that, that had those um, challenges. Um, and that didn't happen. So everything I've done since be very then yeah, has, has been around that and with, with him in mind because um, I don't have any other living children. And so I thought, well, something's got to fill my, my time and, and, and this is it. And um, okay, that, that didn't happen. And I, I didn't get to be a mother, which is something that I always wanted. So I'm channeling my energy and my time into this because... I still feel that I can make a positive difference you know, with it, helping people into those careers in cyber, but also a lot of my awareness raising about the cyber threat and staying safe online, spotting those malicious emails or ransomware or anything that could you know, compromise systems, and not just for businesses, but for the general public um, as, as well. And even people like my, my parents, um, I've drummed it into them, do not open anything, do not click <laughs> yeah. on anything, don't do, you know, don't. Yeah do this and and again just just even making that age group you know more aware to stop them losing their life savings because they've clicked on something and given out information inadvertently that that's what drives me you know you brought up an interesting point that this came to mind uh because when people think of neurodiverse conditions such as adhd and autism people automatically think it is something that only affects children but mm. One big demographic that are often ignored is what about those who are transitioning into retirement, the elderly? Yeah. How, how do you, how are things in the UK? Like, is there much awareness around that? And how is the society there prepared for, a neuro, for neurodiverse people who are retiring? Um, I'll be honest, I've not seen much around that demographic. And you've given me some food for thought there because... I'm approaching 50. I could have easily gone through my entire life not knowing. Um, and the the cogs are turning now with regard to, to that, because I think that's a really interesting point. And um, I think a lot of it is sort of geared around the kind of younger generations and so on. But actually, I think there must be a lot, lot more people like me that have gone through their entire life. Exactly. Um, I, I, I'm convinced that my dad's sister before she died was autistic she was so similar to me and so obsessed with her interests and was very much a sort of loner person and so on but obviously she's passed now we'll, we'll never know and maybe she was and maybe it runs in the family I don't know yeah because when I researched this, the subject a little bit it is clear that at least in the US there is a how you say disconnect because when people go to the care homes and retire they get automatically, people automatically assume, well, this person is schizophrenic or something, something other than autism or ADHD or neurodiverse condition. And they think yeah. that is a potential tragedy. It's like, it's like potential tragedy waiting to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as I, as I say, my achievements and the things I've accomplished in the cybersecurity industry are in direct parallel with when I got my diagnosis because I was able to understand myself so much more and how I work and what makes me tick and I believe that that's spilled over into my, my, my work as well and allowed me to be the best I can be. So for that, I still think yeah. it's brilliant. It's like it mm. opens the door to allow you to be who you are and I think especially t taking off the mask, I think that is something as a society globally, that's, that's where we need to get to where everyone can take off their mask and not be afraid to be themselves yeah. and for employers family to accept them for who they are it, 
but realistically, it's a long way until we can get there. But it's like uh, the agile process: so incremental steps, and we gotta keep prototyping and keep moving forward. No matter what, we gotta keep moving forward. Yeah, and especially so after this year, that's for sure. <laughs> yep. So other than that, uh, is there is is there anything else about your stuff that you want to share? Um. No, I, I, I think I really enjoy what I what I do. And if there's any one you know, piece of advice I can give is even if the waiting list is, is long, start that process of diagnosis. If you think you've, you, you, you may well be on the spectrum or be autistic or neurodiverse in some way, um, start that process off, look into it, research it, and you know, try to get that diagnosis because it changed my life. Yeah, sure. totally agree. And to add to that, what helps me is just reading the stories like because mm. uh, there are many many uh articles out there about famous people who are clearly uh have, uh, have had autism even the famous people such as steve jobs are often cited as having autism yeah. so it makes me think if famous successful people like that are cheered and famous and and cited as and labeled as being successful like, why not all the other people who are autistic and who have ADHD? Why should there be a stigma? Yeah. Everyone, everyone should be celebrated for their special gifts and their what they bring to the world. Yeah, totally agree with that, Nathan. And, you know, and I look forward to seeing a world where, where that happens. Yep, I yeah. agree. Okay, and thank you, Lisa, for, no for, for today and, and everything you do. It, mm. You're an incredible person, and despite all the pain and hardship and everything you've gone through your life thank you you, no, you're thank incredible you. <laughs> thank yeah, you for having me you. nathan it's been a pleasure